Hearts. Welcome to the Normalizing Average Podcast. Join us as we dive into the stories behind the people who have overcome setbacks to achieve success, celebrating the average moments on the path to extraordinary results. Let's go. Okay, welcome guys. This is the Normalizing Average Podcast and I am Eve Duke, your host. I am here with Jen and Mark Barron. So Mark and Jen are the duo behind Integrated Apparel and Someone Collective. While Integrated does screen printing, embroidery, vinyl heat press, stickers, banners, and graphic design, Someone Collective is a lifestyle clothing brand, which I love, and I think everybody who lives or has been to Revelstoke loves, um, centered around the life well lived here in the mountains. From Mark starting his business in the 20s, it has now grown to a team of designers, printers, and support staff providing for brands across North America. It's my pleasure to dive into the business behind printing and clothing with the Barons. Hey guys. <laughs> I love, love, love a good dream team, <laughs> as you guys know. <laughs> um, so let's dive in. So let's start, uh, we do start all of our shows with a little bit of the history behind how you got here, where you started. So Mark, do you, uh, Mark, did you guys want to kind of tell us yeah. where, all, where everything began? Yeah, I guess I can start, we can start at the, the fairly uh, beginning, the, the early, earliest days of it. Um, realistically, we, uh, I first started, uh, kind of making our own clothing kind of, uh, kind of towards the tail end of, of high school. Um, basically, you know, when you kind of start getting into a little bit of your own style and want your own pieces of clothing. Um, we had our, a group of, uh, I was based out of Calgary at the time, went to high school in Calgary and we had a good group of, uh, snowboarders that we hung out with and friends that we would travel to the mountains with and, you know, go go, go for the weekend and stay in hotels and do all, all of that stuff. So it was kind of a, a group road trip mission. And, um, eventually we just kind of started, you know, putting our own names and little designs on shirts that we wanted for ourselves. So we do that. And, uh, the first round, I think we got somebody else to print, but, uh, dealing with screen printers at that time we found kind of difficult. So we thought, Hey, it can't be that hard to make your own t-shirts, right? It's just t-shirts. So, so we started making a couple of, uh, we got a, I teamed up with a friend of mine at the time and he, uh, he was a good decade or so older than me. So he, uh, him and I got a little screen press together and worked out of his mom's garage. And we first started making our own designs and we made them for ourselves and then more friends wanted them. So we had to make some more t-shirts and then it kind of snowballed a little bit from there. Um, so we ran that, uh, I kind of did that little project with him from about 2000 to, oh, about 2007 or so. Um, and then at that time, like I said, he was a fair amount older than I was. So I was getting into university. He was moving on with his life, career, wife, stuff like that. So I thought, no, I want to, uh, I want to keep this going. Got my own screen press, put it in my, uh, garage that, that we had in the old, the old college, uh, bunkhouse <laughs> there. So yeah, put a, put a screen press in my garage in Calgary and, uh, started printing t-shirts for, you know, friends, bands and stuff like that and school groups and, and things like that. So that was how we kind of first started the, um, the, the business kind of side of it. And that was in the back in about 2007 is when we kind of first, I decided that, well, I like the idea of making clothes and I've been doing it for, you know, five, seven years at the time and wanted to kind of take it more seriously. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how, that's how it kind of started. Kind of made that decision to say, yes, I want to give this a try. Yeah. So, and that was and how that's like growing up for me growing up in like the snowboard like with snowboard industry and snowboard and skater friends um yeah there seems to be like in every kind of like pocket and uh like somebody who starts their starts a clothing brand and starts printing for people 
but there's a big step like usually those always fall by the wayside it's like maybe a college project or something like that or they kind of try and continue it on and doesn't make it so yeah so how did it continue on past that to become like the business of your life yeah for sure um well like i i guess uh it was I it was a passion for me. It was something that I, I I really had a lot of fun with. One of the reasons I I I did it and chose t-shirts of all the things. It's not that I'm super into t-shirts, uh, and I'm not I'm not artistic at all, right? So I wasn't really creating many of the designs for these things. Um, uh, clothing was a great unifier, basically, right? Everybody needs to wear clothes, right? So whether you're printing for you know snowboard t-shirts or skateboard t-shirts or band t-shirts or or whatever, right? It was always something that you could kind of whole big groups of people together right you're mm -hmm. like why are we having this party with all these people well we're giving away t-shirts you know that was just that was a reason to do things like that right <laughs> the t-shirts so you know you make t-shirts you make stickers you get a couple of hats and then so that, that was part of the passion for me was uh was kind of bringing people together usually in some form of small event-based thing right rock shows or parties or snowboard trips or whatever so that was uh the, the like i that's what i kind of like to do that that part of things right so um i think the pivotal point from when this became a hobby passion project to an actual business was moving the business from calgary to revelstoke mm -hmm. back in back in the day of you know the early 2010s we we kind of moved here at the end of 20 2009 ish yeah yeah and, we moved the press out here in 2010 which yeah. our first shop and that was kind of the change for everything. Back then in Revelstoke, there wasn't the job base there is now. There wasn't the tourism industry there was now. There wasn't a lot of the services that we have now. And a lot of people that kind of, kind of came around that time, they all started their own businesses here, whether it was electricians or snowboard rental shops or restaurants or tourism companies. They kind of all started their, their businesses at the same time. And we were one of those businesses. We started a, a green printing company here and yeah there's definitely a need for it here and it's grown by a lot over the years but that was i think the pivotal moment from side passion project to real business it also starts getting a lot more real when you have to start paying like real rents and things like that like it's fine to yeah. run stuff in your basement or your garage but you know when you're spending you know 800 a thousand 1200 you know 1800 a month on rent you're like well we got some, we got some real bills now so it's like you got to get yeah. down to business right you can't uh you can't just do it casually so mm -hmm. so that that straightened us up quite a bit you know when you want to get a place okay well can we take this on uh at the time um like i said there, like jen said there wasn't a wasn't a whole lot of industry or you know uh, much of an economy going in on in revelstoke right there was kind of the the standard life back then was the the boyfriends worked out of town or up north or wherever and the girlfriends the girlfriends worked at the at the bars and the restaurants right yeah. and, you know you have to work at two or three restaurants to, to to make a life of it right so so that was part of it i mean at that time i worked out of town um jen worked at you know a lot of the you know some of the restaurants in town right and uh and so we were but we were putting our our efforts you know into the into the company right mm -hmm. so i was gone for i mean i worked out of town for a good, you know, part of eight years or so. So Jen was kind of the anchor in town that that was always around to, to you know, talk to people and answer the phones and answer the email, you know, and be be here. Um, but at that time, it was it was still kind of our side project for sure, right? Mm -hmm. um, since gone so much, um, it got you know, and like Jen said, as the you know more clients came from 2010 to 2015, you know, each year we grew a little bit and a little bit more and. 
And as you grow, you have to add staff and, and space. And these are all things that we had to learn about. <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> First rental space in Revelstoke was a oh, 600 square foot, maybe 800 square feet shop above the ski rental place. And it was tiny. We crammed so many boxes and there was like a maze of boxes with just enough room for the press in the middle to spin. Yeah. And, you know, we quickly, we got up there and we're like, we don't need all this space. Within a year, we'd outgrown it. Yeah. And then we moved into a warehouse in Big Eddie. We're like, we don't need all this space. And then within two to three years, we'd outgrown it. We moved to a shop downtown. We're like, we will never outgrow this space. And two or three years later, we were looking for a bigger space. So just really acquiring yeah. more. It's funny how much space you can use up when you have it, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think was part of that as you were growing, was that also an incentivizer for you guys to, to go out and like increase the revenue as well? So it's like, okay, let's upgrade our space, but we're also going to have to hustle again and like go through that next, almost like steps, right? Of business growth. So it's like, you have X amount of customers that can fit. You're in the big eddy, you're in the shop, in the warehouse there. And it's like, okay, if we're going to go pay the rent downtown, get the space downtown, then we need to go and get X amount of more clients. Like, did you think of it like that? In a way, um, but I was just kind of starting to get there, like with my own financial management of the company, right? Um, for the, you know, definitely the first, say, five or so years of it, you're, you know, you're kind of in that maybe... Um, immature business owner part or inexperienced one where you're kind of just thinking you're like okay more work more work the better you're like let's yeah. go get more jobs more revenue and that'll solve all our problems right um so you know we, we we chased that for quite a while and we liked working hard so it's good let's go get let's go get more and more and more um but then you know it then we found out that's not the total answer to to, to a business is just more revenue right so again it was one of those things of uh, of mostly learning like paying a lot of attention and 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 learning you know um you know what's going on with your business and the money of your business you know there was there was definitely a handful of years that you know we'd work hard all year and then you know you come up for breath at the end of the year and your accountant gives you your year end and you're like how the hell did we still lose money you know like i would never worked harder how could we lose money <laughs> that made any sense so again then it's kind of back to the back to the drawing board you're like what are you know what are we figuring or what do we need to figure out what are we missing you know and mm -hmm. and you know paying more attention to those types of things what do you think were those key levers for your business for profitability ah that's a good question um not sure <laughs> like um we we went through a, a time it was, it was a really big pivotal point for a company, I feel. I was coming off of mat leave after our firstborn. So this would have been in about 2017. Mm -hmm. And we were going to make a push. And we wanted to push and grow. And for us to grow, we thought that we needed more staff. When you mm -hmm. have more staff, you can produce more. When you have more staff, you have more people you know, making money for your company. And it ended up being a lot of the opposite. Like our, We ended up hiring, I think, three or four staff within the span of a couple months and not only were we all working on top of each other but there were people with outset roles that were not being efficient and we were paying so much out in staff that it made us not profitable and that was a huge yeah. learning experience for us to be able to know 
okay, how many people do you need? What salary, what pay do we have to, you know, budget for to still be able to be profitable? Mm-hmm. And how much profits do we have to make? How much revenue do we have to make to be able to afford another staff member? Okay. And that was a costly but huge learning step for us of how how we can afford to have staff and what those roles of the staff are going to do and how we're going to be able to fit them in with our company and how they're going to make us money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely was a big, big learning curve for that one. Cause like, yeah, Jet said, you figure you get more people, you make more money or you, or you, you, you can, you can produce more stuff and sell more stuff. You'll make more money Right. And not always the case, you know, yeah. um, we, we learned that we were spending too much on staff, not producing enough or at least efficiently enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of exactly what happened. That's what brought us to uh, probably like my biggest reality check and and toughest year of our my life was probably 2019. And that's that's when that that real learning kicked in, right? Like, and I said that was about 10 years, 10 years worth of of trying and learning mm-hmm. and, and doing what we thought we we should be doing. And you know, we we paid attention to our business and we figured we were on the right track. But um, you know, when those numbers really come in, that's when you that's when you see it, you know, and. And when it's your money being spent and blown and wasted, and it's a year worth of your work and you're, you know, I, I, I tell people like for ours, you know, in 2019, like probably never worked harder and never had more stress on, on me. And I think I like, I think we lost $34,000 that year. Yeah. Like, how does this happen? What are we missing? You know? So that's where, that's where that kind of kicked in. It was like, okay, we need to almost, let's break this down right back down to the basics of Jen and I, you know, yeah. and, you know, and let's, let's start this again. And, and, and not that we start the whole company again, but we, you know, we, we canned a lot of expenses, got back down to basics and then kind of started rebuilding or regrowing on a better track. Yeah. Uh, I knew more, I, I, I learned my mistakes from then. And it's like, okay, so now we can start fixing this. Mm-hmm. And, I'd say we find like, and, and I, I, 2019 was like that in 2020, we, by the time 2020 rolled around and the numbers came in, it was like, okay, we are on the right track. Like yeah. probably the best I've ever felt in our business was probably February, 2020, which is crazy. Again, you know, like luckily we've had to do this a few times as you're starting your business, right? You get to get slammed down to the bottom. So we were familiar with that spot. But uh, at least it felt good by that. I was like, okay, we are on the right track. Now we just have to deal with the, the nonsense. Um, but the, the structure, the framework of our company is there and we are on the right track now. Mm-hmm. So then, um, then scaling become, became a little bit, little bit easier. I was better at my job. I was better at financial management. Uh, I feel like I, I, I learned and I was you know, better at managing staff as well. We had a lot more processes within our company set up by the start of 2012. Um, okay. Sorry, 2020. Uh, but I started 2020. We did have lots of processes, and you know those processes cut down on errors and mistakes and waste, and it streamlined all of the productivity where we became more efficient without having to do, you know, all the the bonus stuff that caught that caused us to slow down before that. So the processes oh. that building time really set us up for kind of love, being able to level up to the next. Mm-hmm stage yeah if you were to go so if you were to actually if you were to advise somebody what would be the first person that you would hire in your business so if you have let's say you already have your two your two roles covered what would be if you were to start from scratch what would be the first hire you would do like would it be an extra printer would it be an admin would it be production person for us yeah Yeah. for us what what helped us um because you know like i said when when we break it down to the basics of the company sure like jen and i by ourselves could run a 
pretty decent, profitable, but small company. Mm -hmm. But then it mean us doing all the work forever, right? Which isn't yeah. obviously cool either. Look at our roles too. Like I do almost all of the sales. So I'd probably do 90% of the sales, uh, some small admin, you know, just business running stuff. And uh, that's my role here. Before we added our administrator and our, you know, our full on full-time production person, we had worked in every role. So when I started mm -hmm. the company, I learned how to silkscreen. I learned how to make stickers. I learned how to embroider. I graphic design. I did all of our bookkeeping, all of our admin, all of our, you know, setting up health benefits, payroll, everything. So that was, I know how to do everything in the company. Mark also, he knows all the production. He can train people. He does that. He does sales. He does all of our financial management. So we have the base knowledge to do everything by ourselves. When you take away our need to do production, it gives mm -hmm. us time to sell and manage our business. So that was definitely the yeah. first role. Mark still does a little bit of production and less now, but adding someone, the first role to add into a business as a producer, they're the ones that are going to help you make money. Yeah. You know, I can't make money unless I have someone physically back there to make the shirts. And that was, that's definitely the most probably important role in our business besides Mark and I is the production. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, and then from there, it's kind of like scaling in a way, right? Like once I, once I got off the press, okay, well, you know, I learned something else. And then I'd build that position up to enough where we're like, okay, let's put someone in that position. And then I move to the next step and you'll learn that. One. And then that's kind of how we, we've gone for these last few years where I still have to fill in here and there. But, uh, you know, once we, once we get enough of that type of business, or once we can train a person up to a certain level, then you're like, okay, great. Plug that person in and, and, and then move on to the next step. Mm -hmm. And that's been our process. And after hiring our production manager, the next hire was our administrative assistant or executive admin and that took all of the additional stuff that I was doing like the payroll the bookkeeping the the managing of the building the mm -hmm. running of the office shipping Once, yeah shipping. <laughs> shipping takes a long time you know? <laughs> it takes a, a Once, chunk you know, that was taken off my plate then that gave me the ability to sell more and mm -hmm. when I get to sell more I get to make sure the production's busy when the production's busy we're making money and yeah. you know the ability to make sure every, and now we're at the point where everyone's roles are almost maxed out again. Like Nick yeah. is fully busy back there. Uh, we have an embroidery person that started out as part-time that's slowly moving more and more full-time. Our administrative assistant went from 20 hour, 24 hours a week to nearly 35 to 40 hours a week. So eventually we will be hiring the next person to start filling in the roles that we need help with here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's a lot you want to get the producer in there because at least you know that like everything that they're doing, it kind of feels like they're making money. Whereas yeah. the admin is such a scary role because they're just servicing the business. Like the business has to support that person. Whereas the production person is supporting the business and generating yeah. income. Yeah. Um, yeah. A way scarier one, but that also does take you in turn from being inside your business to be able to focus on the business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one for, I mean, you know, the admin does a admin position does a bunch in here, but for me, it's helped with that, uh, that bookkeeping, you know, is part of the role and they stay up to date with it. So, you know, again, when bookkeeping was still on Jen's plate, well, it got moved down the priority list, totally. you know, bit when she just has to sell, she's got to focus on bringing money in. Right. So, and then, you know, before you know it, three months go by and six months go by and your books aren't up to date. And, you know, you don't know, you don't know where the company is going. You could be mm -hmm. losing money three months or six months you don't know right so so that that role was a, a gigantic help uh for me in being able to to manage the, the the business right you know our books are 
almost up to date weekly, realistically, or at the worst case monthly, you know, so it really, it allows, it allows me to see where the company's at to, to help steer. Right. And if you yeah. don't know where you're going, it's pretty tough to, to steer. Totally. Well, otherwise, like you might just be, it's like the guy in the engine room, just like shoveling coal. And you're like, totally. I hope, I hope this is working because I'm shoveling yeah. coal. And it's like, little do you know, you're just like going around in circles around the ocean. Oh, totally. yeah. And it's great. I, yeah. My analogy that I use for myself is, you know, like driving in a car, same kind of thing. Right. Well, it's great if you're just like, you know, pedal to the metal and you're flying down the highway. But if you don't know where you're going or how much gas you have in your car, like, you know, yeah. what, what's what good is just driving, you know, and you're driving, <laughs> driving, you know, and I don't want to be working for the sake of working. Obviously, you know, we're not here just to work harder forever. <laughs> um and then so what would be for you guys what would be the next role that you would bring in just to stay on the staffing thing would it be another production person uh, probably like do you almost just like start that cycle over again we have a graphic designer starting in january not an in-house one but he does live in town here and that's going to be a huge help as we do have clients that come to us without artwork or that want something new or you know, some of our bigger retail clients that constantly add new designs and stuff will have mm. something we can draw from, which will be fantastic. And we're currently hiring a sales person mm-hmm. yeah. to work with me. Yeah. We're at the point now where I can't fully service all my clients. Mm-hmm. In the ones that we do have, I'd like to focus on and grow. Um, that's where the mo- the best money comes from like the the best value for the money that we make is by growing clients and not adding new clients mm-hmm. adding a new client takes up a lot of time growing ex- existing clients is a lot easier and a lot more it lo- a lot better and easier for me to do so i'd like to be able to focus on the clients we have while still servicing new clients and a new salesperson is going to be able to do that for us mm-hmm. yeah and then let's talk about how the business is like just how you run basically like a print business. And we kind of talked about this offline a little bit, but yeah, like you can even break it down for us. Like, where do you get all your stuff? How do you do quality control? Um, Mark, I know you've done trips to China. Do you want to talk about that? Do you guys want to talk about that side of the business and how you, yeah, just like stepped in and grew grew that and figured that out. Mm -hmm. There's a few facets of our business that we have currently. Integrated enterprises is kind of our, umbrella company that has all of our other companies underneath it integrated enterprises has integrated apparel which is our in-house branding screen printing embroidery everything like that then we've got someone collective which is our brand uh we create a lot of our someone collective clothing uh overseas in china we've got a few factories we work with we do a lot of the branding in-house with screen printing and embroidery and then we sell to retailers and and online across canada and the united states um, and then we also have a blank clothing company. Um, that was an offshoot of Someone Collective. We started manufacturing clothing back in 2010 in China. Um, we can talk about where we got started on that. But when we started creating this clothing, this clothing back in 2010, we were find, finding new fabrics, new fits. We were being able to customize the blank clothing to what we wanted, which was you know, sometimes a longer fit, sometimes a little bit different sizing, better women's sizing. And we took the someone stuff that we were branding and pretty much wiped all the logos off of it and created a blank line that we now sell through integrated as Mm -hmm. blank hemp, blank um, cotton poly hoodies, t-shirts, et cetera. Yeah. And that's because over the years you guys have refined, um, like, it's not like you're going to China and you're just like picking from a rack. You're like, I'll take this hoodie and this t-shirt. It's like, you're actually have created the t-shirt, the cuts that you want, the fabrics that you want, the colors that you want. And then because those have now been almost like, 
vetted you have this like awesome clothing line that other people can also brand as well that they know that they're going to get the quality that's already been already been sourced by you guys and we've used our contacts in china to then create clothing for other people we've got clients in you know a big snowboard brand in the united states or it's kind of a, a snowboard store um and they do their own custom branded clothing and we've started creating their own clothing based on the someone sizing and fit and everything mm-hmm. in their own fabric colors with their own prints and so we do custom branding custom oem for other clients in in our factories in china mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we've been making stuff there since yeah like jen said 2010 i started going to china 2010 2009 so we've been, we got to go to the factories and we got to go to the fabric markets, you know, like we, we produce in China there and we're, our factory is only about an hour away from the biggest clothing or the biggest fabric market in the world. Right. So it's a good, you know, it's a good place to be. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a, Mark had a very unique um, ability to go to China back in 2010. We both went to university for things that have nothing to do with clothing. <laughs> <laughs> Mark uh, is a geologist. I'm a geographer, which I've never. I sell t-shirts now. But all, all of us, yeah. Right. Using using the heck out of our university degrees. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Mark uh, did geology for about eight years from 29 to 2009 to about 2017-18. And he went to China for the first few years of that and he was working in mining in China. So when he would come back, he would stop in and, you know, find some contacts through online searching and you know, we get samples and stuff like that. And then he had the opportunity to actually go to these factories and meet these salespeople and actually get an idea of where our clothing was being made. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge bonus for starting out, figuring out how to navigate the Chinese factory system. Um, yeah. And it was, it was pretty cool to have that opportunity. And since then, even after doing Geo, Mark's been back three times yeah and i've gone once with him and it's it's really really cool to be able to go over there and meet our salespeople and see the factories and see where our clothing's being made and yeah yeah it's good and it, and it, it allowed me to create almost uh create a role that i've i've wanted kind of for myself for like even a long time like even when uh like i said around 2006 seven ish we were getting the idea of okay we wanted to to do this someone thing you know i you know did internet checking and you know calling whatever contacts I could to be like, why isn't there somebody like in Canada that, that can like be my connection to China? Like, wh- like, yeah. why does this exist? Like, why can't I call up a Canadian guy and be like, Hey, I need some custom production, like real custom production, not just a screen printed guild and t-shirt. Like, and at that time, at least anyways, I, I couldn't find that person. It didn't really seem to exist. So, mm-hmm. so even, you know, that's, it's kind of been on my mind since about 2006 or seven, right. Of So having this then, and then diving into it, working with someone and someone's basically kind of like our R and D project. It allowed us to, you know, to create that position now, which exists, which now that is part of our, our service of our company, right? Like if you want the direct connection to China, you can call us and we can, you know, we can help get all that, all that fancy fun stuff made for you. So mm-hmm. um, the long-term goal of mine, and it's been good to have it as part of our company and part of our business and happy to offer it as a service and, it's kind of a fun creative part of it, right? It's not just getting your standard t-shirt that you get from all the regular North American suppliers. Well, mm-hmm. you get to get to get creative. Oh, it's so cool. And like for me being on a complete outsider and never having done any sort of like product-based business, 
it's like, what do you, where do you even start? It's like, you just call China and you're like, Hey, I need to talk to a fac- <laughs> like factory. I don't know. Like it's, there's a lot going it's, on, it's, you know, it's trial and error. <laughs> yeah. Some of the, the, you know, the, the regular, you know, business, you know, examples still hold true to China. Like you want to find someone that you work with, you know, you want to find someone you communicate well with you and in a timely manner. And you basically want to start building that trust, right? Um, mm-hmm. It definitely doesn't come from, you know, the first phone call you make to people or emails, right? It takes a, a bit of trial and error, right? And we've definitely worked with ones that didn't make a good product for us or, you know, or, yeah. you know, money wasn't well spent, it turned out, you know, and errors happen and, uh, and, and these things happen. There's not a lot of repercussion to, you know, when someone in a factory in China messes things up, that's just uh, how the cookie crumbles. You got to deal with it, move on. Um, so yeah, you, you try and you try and you win some, you lose some, but uh, you re- money. yeah, realistically, once you, once you get with the good people, you know, then it's just, then it's a normal business relationship. That's really not a whole lot different from anyone dealing with anyone in North America. Right. Um, you work well with them, you work in a timely manner and you can trust each other and, and then you can get good stuff made. So, uh, yeah, took a little time, took a little spending, but, uh, yeah, comes around. Do you think you could have formed the relationships that you have now without going there? I don't, I think yeah. now, now, now is a little bit easier. You can go yeah. on uh, Alibaba, you can search for these companies. They've, they all have websites now, back when we started yeah. doing this in 2009, our companies didn't have websites but yet. chinese companies did not have english websites for the most part yeah. back then right or like and even was... then googling them wouldn't bring you no the chinese sites like mm-hmm. the there is a disconnect mm-hmm. from north american googling and searching and finding these sites you don't they don't show up on your search pages yeah um alibaba has been a, a massive help to connecting north american businesses with the chinese counterparts yeah. and that's allowed us to find some good suppliers. Um, and then it's kind of a trial and error from there of, of which ones you go with and samples, lots of samples. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> takes, yeah. It takes a lot of time. That's, that's, that's part of the process with this, you know, just, uh, Oh, I jump in and can you have this in a month? Like, you know, honestly, when I'm building a new line for people, I'll, I'll tell them it usually takes almost a year to get the first, the first round, you know, really, really the way you wanted it in your hands and ready to sell. It, it does, it does take a, takes a lot of planning and timing. So Mm-hmm. that's part of it a lot of the planning yeah <laughs> yeah and then how long did it take for you guys do you feel like to nail that it's like still a couple of years yeah, <laughs> years. yeah good. we'll let you know yeah five or so years yeah at least five mm-hmm. years takes. you know there's still always i don't think you can necessarily always nail anything like we had an order this year for one of our main clients and another smaller but excellent client was kind of tagged in on this China order. The, all the branding and everything was done for the big client. And we had custom hang labels, custom size labels, custom branding, everything like that. And then the additional kind of tack on of the order was for a smaller client and all of their hoodies showed up with the correct branding, but all with the other clients tags in the back. So we spent hours stitch ripping all of the tags out and then heat pressing new tags in for the client because you yeah. can't get you know mm. a <laughs> logo in the back of a pf chang's t-shirt like it doesn't yeah. work <laughs> you can't prop brand like that and there's always a lot of time you know a lot of times because there is a language barrier there's a time barrier there is a lot of barriers between you know us and china and a lot of the times we do have mistakes like that happen we've had to garbage a lot of clothing you know donatable and stuff we mm-hmm. we have donated as much as we can we 
you know, one year got a bunch of ladies, someone hoodies that were so small, I couldn't wear them. So now there are youth giveaways and all the kids, <laughs> you know, you have to get creative sometimes. So you're not wasting stuff. You're not wasting money. You're not wasting clothing. You're not wasting resources. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a lot of creativity in this com- in this industry, not just for putting logos on just art skin. <laughs> yeah. You know, get creative with how you're making them, how you're, you know, doing them if you can fix things that are broken and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Would you say probably like the label one is that you're one of the biggest, like, just like China fails? No, that one was fairly that one fixable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they sent us a bunch of jackets in about 2011, 2012 ladies jackets and the buttons fell off of all of them. <laughs> so we had to hire Mark's mom <laughs> to Sew all of these buttons onto jackets because you seriously put them on, you put the button through, and it go pop, and yeah. the button was gone. So, oh my god, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. One was, that one was a hard pill to swallow, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then, like, how many units are you talking about? Like, are there like, yeah, 100? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, we so-, around if you want to <laughs> <laughs> so going back to let's go back to 2019 because it seems like it was a pr- really pivotal time, pivotal pivotal time for you guys um what were like some of the key things that you did end up doing there is it like did you let go of staff did you refine was it refining staff roles was it um like even just changing your system around ordering and what clients you took on what were the really key things that you had to had to change that made a difference to where you are now (laughs) the biggest ones were yeah we had to do uh a, a staffing like well staffing change we kind of happened we had baby number two on the way into in 2019 so i was out of the picture i wasn't in a full sales role before i went on my second mat mat leave um but i was more in more in an administrative role with uh, some sales on the side but going into about a month before we were supposed to have our second we did a massive staff change we had to let Mm -hmm. go of our main salesperson um he wasn't working out. He was with us for three years or so, three and a half years. Yeah. And but yeah, it was when, like I said, it kind of started to realize that financially, you know, maybe after the first quarter of 2019 or so, he was like, oh, you know, when I got the books back from 2018, you're like, all right, some changes need to happen here. You know, yeah. like, some, like we have to do something. Um, and so, yeah, so we made some staffing changes. And then we basically, like I said, we kind of broke it down to the basics where I like, I just said, I got to work and I'll, I'll have to do everything I can as much as I can. And whatever I couldn't, unfortunately got unloaded to Jen, you know, even with a a brand new baby in her hands, right. Where like Jen, like, we need you to, we need you to come back and you got to get back to work. Right. Um, My leave was pretty much non-existent with number two. I was within less than three months in, I was back here and I had a baby swing behind my desk and I had people come and take her for walks so I could get a couple hours of work in and you know losing that person it seems like a even looking back on it now I'm like what were we thinking firing this person going into my mat leave because there was no one here to do anything in the front end but our environment in here was turning a little bit toxic Mm -hmm. I didn't like in here um our other staff members didn't, we had another part-time admin person. She didn't like working here. One of the guys in the back, they'd always butt heads. We had, you know, a lot of issues around that and the monetary, like the financial aspects of letting this person go and the culture aspect ended up being a great decision. Yeah. Um, 
and it definitely kind of set a, our, us into the right trajectory. Me coming back on mat leave was was tough, but it definitely set us up for success in the later 2019 and 2020. Well, there was that point mm -hmm. that we we needed to do better, right? And even with Jen coming back, she's like, basically, like, we need more processes in here. You know, she yeah. kind of said, like, I'm not coming back unless we're going to get better at this, you know, like, I'm not just coming back to, to work forever and for nothing. Right. Like if we're yeah. going to do this, let's, let's start doing this a better way. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that was that, that timeline, that 20 year with, you know, 2019 with everything being so crazy. And that's where we just took, you know, had to take even harder looks at, at the business and, you know, find those little things that, that weren't working. What did we need to? So yeah, we kind of, we, we, we took our payroll back down. Um, so that the company could, you know, do a little better, survive a little more. We, we still weren't really paying ourselves at that time. Maybe Jen got a little bit. I, I certainly wasn't. Um, but we, we, we had to kind of break it back down to like cover those bases again and then get on that right track and then, and then slowly start building again. Mm -hmm. um, but those, but the, yeah, the, the staff one, the staff one and the, and the culture um, and, and for me, like money management and, uh, and even staff management too. I'd never really, I'd never really been in a role where I had to manage staff. Like as a, as a geologist, I was all doing my things and doing my work and stuff like that it was great. I could write reports and, you know, do science and communicate with people, but it, um, but, you know, dealing with people and, and their lives and in work on a day-to-day -day basis wasn't, wasn't really part of my skill set. Mm -hmm. um, thing that I think Mark has maybe blocked out or forgets about 2019 is, blocked you know, one, <laughs> one of the doctor and he's like, something's up you know, my, I feel like I can't, my heart's always palpitating. Like, I feel like there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he up to EKG machines for a week to figure out what was going on. And it was stress, anxiety, and, you know, the pressure of, you know, trying to push this business into the next, the next stage. And I think that kind of pivotal moment of, you know, fixing our staffing issue, having a baby, pushing this company to go the right way, we really realized that there has to be work-life balance. And that's probably one of the biggest things that's come out of 2019 is, you know, figuring out a way to balance the stress and the pressure of a growing insanely busy business mm -hmm. with kids and a house to run and, you know, still enjoying our life outside of this building kind of thing. And I think we started taking it seriously in 2019 that, you know, you can't be at work every night until seven o'clock. Yeah. You can't am every day you know have turning this place off and, and still being able to have a life and enjoy it is mm -hmm. worth more than you know the couple extra hours of being here and working yeah it's a big stress too because then you're also at and at the same time like you're balancing supporting a family with also trying not to lose your family which yeah, like totally. anybody who's run if there's even one person in the household like and i can attest to this like who runs runs their own business it can like you can do it all day, all night long, like take it home with you, like wake up with it. It's like your mistress. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there, so there's a balance there. And then that, to, but it also, we all know any entrepreneur knows how much it takes to push through to that next level. Cause it's also, it's easy, can be easy to just stay on the hamster wheel and be like, Oh, darn it. Like, or just, you know, if you get to a comfortable point, but it's really hard to like to fire that staff person to say and like to make those sacrifices to be able to push through the next level. And you guys have like kudos to you guys, massive, massive props because you've made it. And do you feel like there's a little bit more room for like 
breathing a little bit more room breathing room now yeah that sacrifice in you know 2019 and learning in the 20 you know staffing in the 2017 moving into a new building learning what we did in 2019 running a business through a pandemic um maybe one of the best and worst things to happen to us but not a bad thing in the end um you know I think one of the best things to come out of the the pandemic was the the loan from the government, the sixty thousand dollars, <laughs> because that helped us. You know, every year at this time, we stress ourselves to the max. September to December is our busiest time period. We have to have retail orders out, staff uniforms out. Uh, every everyone wants their stuff before the season starts, before the ski hill opens, before winter hits. So we get insanely busy and we'll strap ourselves to cash. We we run our whole business on cash. We don't have credit with any of our suppliers or anything like that. So to go into the season with no money, we'd be reaching out to our parents. We'd be like, we need that $50,000 again to get us through mm-hmm. to the RMR order. And, you know, always paying them back, you know, by January kind of thing. But with that little bit of money from the government, we didn't have to do that. And we've turned that over so many times with, you know, purchasing inventory from China and being able to then sell that inventory, purchase more. We've turned it over so many times that mm-hmm. it's it's invaluable. And I don't think, I think we'd still be in a good position, but I think that extra help with a lot less stress on the bank account was a massive help to getting us to where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and And even being able to slow down a little bit during COVID, like our tourism... Uh, companies that we do a lot of tourism stuff for those really slowed down and it gave us a little bit of time to regroup figuring out our processes where we're going to be spending our money mm-hmm. um, it was a stretch during that time to get stock mm-hmm. yeah from toques to black hoodies to yeah. t-shirts like black t-shirts black hoodies and black toques would sell out of canada the whole country would be basically out of them yeah each of the 2020 21 and now 22 it's finally getting a little bit better but for, for a good while there, I was just bringing in blank clothing from China because at least we could have clothing to sell then, and you know, because yeah. otherwise we wouldn't be able to. It's great if someone walks in and wants to order 50 hoodies, but if they're not available, then it doesn't do anybody any good, right? So yeah, yeah Jen, that, that, that extra whatever, the government money for the COVID, it did help us for things like that. It allowed us to, to stay operating. Yeah. Uh, actually, and, and allowed us to grow a little bit. So that was, it was good. And it was good to see that um, you know, that the company did work and that we were on the right track and the processes did work. And then with a little bit of capital injection, it's like, okay, now we can, now we can kind of get moving. Right. So, yeah. so that, that was a big help and that, that helped put us on the right track. And, and now that's, that's kind of how we, how we roll with stuff. So mm-hmm. it was, yeah. Um, I think last year, last year was really stressful. It was kind of one of the, fir- the first winter kind of turned back on people were starting to come back to Revelstoke. It did start getting busier for us last winter and I was mm-hmm. so stressed out Nick our her production manager in the back and he knew I was having a bad day and he looks at me he's like Jen no one ever died because they didn't get their t-shirts <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like oh, right they're, they're just <laughs> and, you know a different, I've definitely taken a different approach to it this year and not letting you know the stress take over and realizing no one's gonna die if they don't get their t-shirts and mm-hmm being realistic with clients being like, Hey, this is our busiest time of year. Mm-hmm. You're on my list. And as soon as I have some space available, I will put you into the, into the queue to get your order in. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
people understand, people get it. And it's been a different approach this year. That's been a, a lot less stressful for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. And it's an, it's an expectation set for them too. It's like, you could order your stuff, you know, months in advance if you want, but you know, it's like, if you're, and this is going to be the same with any, any supplier, any ser- business service is that the closer you get to the deadline, the harder it's going to be, or the more expensive it's going to be. What yeah. it is, it's like the good, fast, um, and cheap and rule yeah. and quick. Yeah. 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 You can have two. You can't have three. <laughs> good. Good. Fast and cheap. You can Mark have a good and fast. They won't be cheap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. And people, I think also don't necessarily realize that like, it's a hugely capital intensive business. Like you have to pay for all the inventory. It's not just like they put in their order and then that's oh, it. Yeah. It's like, you guys have to front that. Right. And hundreds of thousands of dollars fronting clothes, right? And it's, yeah. yeah, numbers get kind of ridiculous sometimes when you look at the bank account, you're like, holy moly, like how, how did we spend half a million dollars so quickly already this year? You know, like we're not even halfway through, you know, like these numbers are big and to like, yeah. to us, you know, small business and small families and even small towns, you're like, what the, the heck is going on here? But it, you know, <laughs> it's kind of wild, but when it's, when it's working, it's okay. I, I have faith in it, but uh, yeah, otherwise I'd be, you know, be scary at times but yeah yeah, yeah. a lot of money being spent Mm -hmm. and then what about you guys how have you guys worked together and developed your relation your working relationship and your roles over the years was there some friction there was it kind of like easy to settle in to where you are now don't know what couples talk about when they don't work together (laughs) yeah (laughs) we don't always talk talk about their kids that's all it is yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's it's definitely we like it. Um, we like our, we're passionate about our business. We like where we work. We like our business. We like talking about it. So it always makes us, you know, gives us a good thing that to something to talk about at home, something to, you know, communicate over something to bond over to. It's like, Oh, that client today, did you hear that? Oh my God, that guy was such a, <laughs> or whatever, you know, we, we always have that. And we try, you know, our best to leave, the drama, if there is any drama at work, at work, and, you know, mm-hmm. not have that spill over to our home life. Um, you know, a lot of the time I'll get home and I'll have sat next, like we sit next to each other, our desks are four <laughs> feet apart from each other and <laughs> home, pick up the kids or he'll pick up the kids and I'll get home and, you know, we'll say like, oh, how was the rest of your day? How was your day? Like, did you have a good day? Because we often don't even really talk about anything actually that's actually going on because we're so busy working or you know doing whatever we're doing in our roles mm-hmm. and you know, I'll often ask Mark like how's your day today and it's really good. And, <laughs> you know and, and the times that we do argue because it's inevitable to owners of a business that are as invested as we are there's going to be spats there's going to be arguments there's going to be fights um one time we had a big blowout and it was a slight yelling match at the shop and <laughs> and I don't want to take it home with you but you know Mark gives me a hug you know like oh it's such a horrible day my boss was being so <laughs> much an ass at least we're on the same page <laughs> no, we don't take the work the work uh issues home with us which is good mm-hmm. yeah but yeah, it's I don't know it's like Jen said I think we both have we both have fun doing it it's a it's a project we we both enjoy working on, right? Like it's, you know, it's 
it's good for our, I think in a way, our own personal lives where we get to grow and do, and we're challenged and we, you know, we get to, we get to do all these things. And for the most part, I think we have fun doing it. So, um, so that for that part, it's really good relationship wise. I don't know. We're probably the same as most people that have, you know, businesses, houses, kids, all that kind of, you know, tend to get higher priority than Jen and I going on date nights. Those don't happen as much as they used to, but (laughs) everything's still good. Kids kind of grew up here like days that they can't go to school because either daycare's closed or you know pd day or someone's you know too sick to go to school but not sick enough to come to shop (laughs) they end up here and you know our kids our kids have toys here and they play here and oftentimes if i have a client come in with their kid i'll pull out the toys (laughs) so we can have a 30 minute conversation about t-shirts and you know our our kids are going to be part of this too which is kind of exciting oh it's beautiful it's only a matter of time getting close there (laughs) yeah Robbie should be, she could peel stickers now. Yeah. Peel yeah, stickers, yeah. maybe do some screens. Exactly. <laughs> and then who uh was it hard for you guys? And I only asked this because this is something that I went through with Scott. We had both come when we ran our business, we'd both run our own companies, and then we really fought for power. And that took a while for us to fall figure out, okay, who's like at the end of the day, who's running the show for the team, you know? Um, was that something that you guys went through? Or was it okay? I think it was more of Mark wanted me to take on more. Mark wanted me to be the boss. And I didn't think that I would be ready for it or, you know, have the ability to do that. So it's kind of a little bit opposite where Mark wanted me to to, to take over and run mm-hmm. the business. You know, I think he's kind of a feminist at heart where he wants to see a woman running a, you know, successful business and be mm-hmm. there to support me and doing that or you know kind of do it together but I don't think there's ever been a a power struggle I'd say for the most part I mean like Jen was out of the company for a few years there like with having kids and and stuff like that so for during that time wasn't it wasn't an issue um quite a few times yeah (laughs) I'm out of here (laughs) who's coming with me Mark But as, as we've, as we've grown and now as the, as you know, Jen's back for these couple of years and now integrated is growing and integrated is, is the, the main part of our, our business these mm-hmm. days. Um, you know, Jen, I've, I've Jen's kind of, more. kind of running that project for the most part for running integrated and, and she's the one that works, you know, most closely with the staff. Um, and I'm, you know, I guess I'd say I'd probably a little bit more of an entrepreneur than Jen is. So my mind is always you know, sometimes half into the, into the next project that, that I want to get going right. Or into some of the side projects. So in that way, it gets Jen to, to, she can really focus on the main part of the business and and she can start to take, her. take over that role and, and really, you know, be, be the foundation of, of that business while I, um, you know, kind of have to explore the next steps. And so that's kind of what we, where we're at these days is we've always been growing this kind of together, 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 but now that integrated is, is is functioning fine on its own you know this is kind of jen's jen's project that she can take and and run run with this i'm obviously always there for the the support but then i can start taking the new projects and the someones and the you know and our our hemp clothing line we started a blank hemp clothing line you know that we released a few years ago so that's a a, something new that that needs a lot of attention but doesn't necessarily make a lot of money yet um we started a couple like a another a web store for 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 revelstoke shop revelstoke.ca which again is a it's it's as a starting of a project, right? So all you know what those are like. They all take ton of ton of time and investment in, but you know they don't they don't function perfectly or profitably for the first little while. So I can still, 
you know, chip away at those things while, while Jen, you know, has the, has the company running smoothly. And I don't like that aspect of starting new things and growing and developing. Like I've always loved integrated because it's kind of got a blueprint of how it's going to run. And there's nothing really crazy that you can do or start, or, you know, it, it, it's just this nice little company that could fit inside a box pretty much. Mm -hmm. And Mark is extremely bored with that. And he always wants to do, we used to scare, we had the same uh, accountant for a while and you, you would know her too, but every time we'd go in there, it'd be like, okay, so we're starting this new project. And she'd be like, <laughs> some more projects. And like, some more and talk to Mark about it. And, you know, it I think that's, you know, once we do hire the next salesperson here, I would eventually like to just get Mark completely away from integrated and not have to spend as much time in this building doing this stuff. And he could focus on the hemp and the stoke life and the someone and the, you know, the, the OEM production and, and all that kind of stuff, because that's where his passions lie. And that's what mm -hmm. he wants to do. So, well, and that's like, it is a really good, it's so it's so amazing and so awesome to see when a partnership especially like a husband and wife partnership works out where you have this like perfect almost like balance of roles where you have somebody who and that's what you need right if you had two marks or two gens then the business wouldn't be wouldn't go where it can go and where it's okay. going to go so it's like yeah. you need you need both of those roles and it is it's so nice because oftentimes it's like you might have just the one business owner and they might be the guy who's like, okay, next, 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 next. And that's where you have a really hard time becoming profitable and refining that business because there's no, like, somebody needs to, like, keep things consistent so that they can get refined exactly like you, you guys have done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, then that I also like allows Mark some runway to, like, add, because you also need this influx of, like, new stuff once once everything's stable and it's going. Yeah. 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 So that part's worked out good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Right now i think yeah <laughs> tell us about the hemp business the hemp clothing. Uh, yeah so the hemp uh the hemp clothing is something we I, I basically i started kind of um manufacturing probably about five years ago so now uh someone's been making clothes um manufactured its own clothes since 2010 um so we we're about 12 years of that bro five years ago i started shifting the line to try and be more uh, focused on hemp um, you know, sustainability has started coming up and being, being more of a thing. Uh, the reason I chose hemp, um, specifically, um, was that we can, we can grow it in Canada is mm. that that's the goals, right? So once they kind of, you know, the cannabis legalization stuff, well, that also started to, to, to improve the hemp, uh, like industry in, in Canada, right. Mm -hmm. uh, for all the hemp can provide in our case, we like the clothing end of it. Um, so rather than, you know, go down a whole bunch of different, op different routes or organic cottons or whatever, I wanted to pick something that we could grow in, in Canada. Right. So, you know, we're a, we're a pretty smart country. We're pretty big. We, you know, we got, you know, we got the ability to do things. Why can't we make a t-shirt? You know, it seems, it seems <laughs> kind of crazy. Right. So, so th that's essentially one of the big my projects that I'm working on, which will take years to develop. Um, because essentially right now we don't, we don't really have the technology or we have the technology, but maybe not the ability to, to do this in Canada. So um, throughout these last couple of years, I've connected with a bunch of other people that are in the hemp industry in Canada, more on the growing side of things like that. But um, it's a really interesting one. You know, things are starting to develop over these few years and, and hopefully in the next, you know, three to five years, we can start seeing, you know, like hemp clothing made with Canadian grown hemp, Canadian crops, right. Grown mm -hmm. right here. 
Canada. So that for me, that's one of the one of the reasons I went that route. We, you know, we wanted a more sustainable option, and that's the one you know that I, that I chose and I wanted to get into. Mm-hmm. So that went a lot of a lot of fun for me because it's kind of a same thing. It's a new, it's a whole new industry for a lot of people. So it's kind of you know, it's, it's an interesting point, right? Everyone's kind of eager to get into it and start start working away at that. Mm-hmm. So that was why we did that and we just wanted some some basics so we did our you know we t-shirts and hoodies and stuff like that so it was easy enough to do that um and then that's where we started moving a lot of our someone branded stuff to but then like jen said also now we basically wipe the logos off to make hemp clothing kind of accessible to pretty much anybody so yeah we do some for for a lot of our clients start start using hemp now they like it they don't do all their stuff on hemp which is fine you know you want to want some variety but uh it's good there's there's blank hemp clothing available now in canada so yeah and then so is that right now sorry if i said is that made is the hemp clothing made in canada right now or that's made in made in china right now still so still our normal factory right now china's one of the only countries that's that will grow hemp a lot of you know hemp still illegal in a lot of countries like i've talked Mm. to manufacturers in india that reached out to us and i said oh, okay great can you well do you guys do hemp and they're like well no we it's illegal in china, in india to do hemp so we just have yeah. to get it from china anyways i'm like well i'm already kind of getting it from china so yeah. uh so no so for now the time being it's still uh it's still done in china um one thing that a lot of people don't know is you know people have this idea of china being this horrible communist place with sweatshops and you know children that work and sew things and it's it's really not like our factory is is pretty cool they've got people like us that work there and you know have their offices it's it's really cool to see how it's all done but what people don't understand is that 95 98 percent of the fabric in the world is produced in china so if even physically made there even if you have clothing sewn in india or in mexico or in canada all of that fabric is coming from china interesting it's it's a funny thing when I do have clients come in and they're like, oh, well, we don't want anything made in China. Well, we want that, you know, we want as locally sourced as possible. I'm like, that's fine, but it doesn't really exist. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I, I hate to tell you, everything comes from China when it comes to fabric and clothing for the most part. Even if it doesn't, even if it's the, the fabric that comes, we finally find fabric from some other place. Well, all your zippers, your trim and your labels are all coming from China anyway. So yeah, it's kind of hard to even try and get away from that yeah yeah like they own the market on all of like all of yeah (laughs) all of it but uh so is that so china's growing just basically growing everything and then and then building it in-house like making it in-house like physically growing like i don't know not even growing it cotton the hemp like the cotton could come from india and then they ship it to china china processes Uh, yeah processes everything and makes it into the fabric like all the fabric at some point is being processed or dyed or sewn or whatever in china for the most part yeah so is there anything is there anything made in canada (laughs) yeah does canada have like an actual clothing i guess this is the answer is like they don't really have in canada does there exist an actual clothing manufacturer yeah where they would yeah but on the scale of not on the scale of uh like say blank t-shirts or hoodies like there okay. are they do more things like there's a there's a bunch in like there's a bunch in quebec obviously of clothing manufacturing there's a bunch in alberta but even some of those ones that have reached out to they're like no we just make coveralls for you know industry people like, yeah you know so it's not a it's not quite on the the scale of a you and, know of say t-shirts where you need tens of thousands of these things and we have yeah. source factories in quebec near montreal and stuff that do make blank clothing 
but we find that it's so expensive. We can still make it work expensive, but we can make it work. Uh, we have to pay for shipping most of the time on top of it. And the lead times can be six months. So yeah, you have to plan just like you would in China to do this, but pay double. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so would part of the vision for you, Mark, be that there would be hemp manufacturing being manufactured, hemp clothing being manufactured in Canada? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be the goal that I'd like to see is, uh, is turning, Canadian hemp just grown in the prairies for the most part into, uh, into fabric. Yeah. Once it can be fabric then, cause then almost anybody can start up a clothing manufacturing shop or store or whatever, right. Then it's just sewing fabric together. Right. So mm-hmm. the difficult part right now is that, uh, that creating the fabric that's, yeah. that's kind of where, that's kind of where everything's stuck right now. Right now, with all the hemp we grow in Canada, we essentially do stage one of processing to it and then ship it off to Asia and or Apples. Europe. Yeah. 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 It's used like building materials and insulation and and that kind of stuff. It's not refined to a a fabric level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then let's talk about the dream or the vision for integrated apparel. Where do you guys see the company in, in the future? That's a, that's an interesting one because we've had, I've had to start thinking about that quite heavily in the last, like even just the last year or so, right. As um, you know, as, as we get on to the right, track you know and let's say that track is like profitability okay that's good that's where we want it um then we had to start thinking what what size do we want to become realistically you know mm-hmm. like you want to be a million dollar a year company or a three million dollar year company or a five million dollar company and and you can dream all this you want but real you know as you start to learn you're like those steps become like pretty significant you know and if you want to be a five million dollar a year kind of company you you got to do a lot you know and you got to sacrifice a lot still you know and you got to have a certain number of employees which means generally a certain size of building you know and and where we are in you know in in revelstoke like it's not a lot of room to grow physically at least you know there's a lot of extra space around there's not big warehouses like you know the the vancouver's or the calgary's or the wherever's where you can just oh let's go down the road and get a gigantic warehouse it doesn't exist so for, for me, I've really had to think about where we, where, where we want this company to go, how, how big we want it to go. Um, and, and it's good. We're on a good track. Basically, if we add another salesperson and maybe another production person or two, um, that'll probably be almost it. You know, like mm-hmm. I'd like to see about a staff of 10 realistically, probably not much more, hopefully around 1.5 a year, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, and then that'll be, and then that can almost almost be it in, in a way. Right. I mean, I yeah. don't think, um, you know, we're not just going to keep pushing for the sake of pushing, like Jen said, integrated is its own, its own business. Once we get a, you know, kind of enough clients or the clients we like, and we can, we can pay for our stuff and the staff's getting paid well, and people are happy. Um, there's not, I don't think there's necessarily a need to, to keep growing it at, mm-hmm. at some point. Right. So I think my, my, well, especially, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, especially because people often confuse size with profitability yeah doesn't like you because you're bigger doesn't necessarily mean you more you make more money no and so what for what we've had to decide kind of also on a personal level and since we work for this company um is you know well at what point are we going to be happy like what what mm-hmm. what level essentially is is going to make you happy enough um so that you you know you pay your bills you live your life but you're not constantly killing yourself at work mm-hmm. you know um, and I, I don't think there is a dollar value but there's definitely like the goals that I have for this company would be to work with amazing people and have them paid 
you know, well, so that they can stay here and have a career with our company. That's, that's a huge goal um, for me. And it's also so that we can live comfortably and have a, a work-life balance. Like I have had real jobs where I've had to work the nine to five Monday, Tuesday through Saturday, um, you know, life. And I missed a lot and mm-hmm. I don't want to have to be booking off my time and I don't want to have to be, you know, scheduling time so that I can be with my family. I want to be able to be with my family when I want to be with my family. I want to take yeah. vacations when I do. And, yeah. you know, when we started looking at back in 2019, when we started looking at the values of what we wanted to carry forward, mm-hmm. that in we are closed from Christmas to New Year's on either end so that people have time to spend with their families. We are closed for August or at least a good chunk of August. Um, it's hard when you own your own business and you want to take a vacation, but your business is still operating because mm-hmm. there's all things, you know, you're worried about the emails coming in. You're worried about the orders being picked up. You're worried about your staff being there, all these things. And by just being able to close, it gives everyone time to completely leave and reset and recharge. And our, our staff value that too. All of our staff here have kids uh, mm-hmm. except for one employee. Everyone else has kids. And being able to give that time to our staff to enjoy their kids on summer vacation and summer break, mm-hmm. you know, that was a huge goal for us to, to be able to have for our family and to give to our staff. So, you know, being able to just have a company where people are happy to come to work and they enjoy their job and they're getting com- compensated fairly for it. And we can still afford to live the lifestyle that we yeah. want. That's kind of the end game. I agree. I think yeah. that's a, that better point of success for us and i think i think even the people in this in this company right that work here is i think the that that balance is almost more important than just the paycheck in, in mm-hmm. a way right so, yeah so yeah i'd, I'd agree with that mm-hmm. it is yeah. funny there's like a fable about i can't remember what it is but it's something about a guy who like works and then there's an old monk it's like okay well what do you what are you working for he's like well if i work here and then if i make more money i can do this and he's like okay and then what he's like and then if i do that and then I can grow and I can do more and then and then I can spend more time with my family he's like why don't you just do that now (laughs) like you can you don't have to work all that hard to get more time back like that's completely backwards and that's kind of been our as well right even like even for us you know coming from you know originally from Alberta or or the Calgary's of the world you're like yeah well we I could have worked downtown for 30 years and then I could have got that place in BC you know oh just move out yeah but you know do it yeah um okay so then to close off guys what would you say and we could do kind of like jen and then mark um somebody in your situation starting a either and you can do either clothing company or printing company or everything business whatever you want what would you what do they need to know what would you give them as advice We have a lot of clients that come to me and they're like, we want to start a clothing company and we want to, we want to start a brand and we're going to sell it here. And we're going to give, you know, 10% of our profits to this charity. And we're going to run this amazing, you know, charitable clothing company. I've never seen one last more than a year and a half. Um, It's ruthless. If you're not physically printing your own t-shirts to make a clothing company, it's not going to be, it's going to be really hard to be yeah. Um, yeah. I I have told people to not. <laughs> Here's my advice: do something else. Yeah. <laughs> Saying that you can't your dream of starting a clothing company because it's it's there, but it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's 
it's hard. You have to have the artistic ability and the attention to detail to be able to screen print and to, you know, make a quality product. And a lot of screen printers have that. They have that attention to detail. They have the drive to, you know, make their press amazing and have the best product out there. But the business sense that comes with it is usually lacking. And then the business sense people definitely sometimes don't have that attention to detail. And to find someone that has both of that is is tough. It's it's mm-hmm. that's probably the hardest part to have the attention to detail to have a business like this and the business savvy to run a business like this is really hard. Um, and I think that if anyone wants to do something cool, well, I'm hiring a salesperson. Teach how to do it, then you can go start your company. I don't. That's kind of my. It's it's tough. It's not mm-hmm. an easy business to get into. It's not an easy business to run, and it's not an easy business to to make it in. Um, we have a lot of demand for it. There is you know, a lot of demand for custom clothing out there, but it's a hard one to master. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't even think we're even close to mastering it. So I'll t- tell you once we do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't believe, and I don't think a lot of people realize the depth that you guys have gone to have like, like a original and quality products that you can also then offer people, you know, like, I think that's really valuable. And it also is bananas that that's in Revelstoke. Yeah. You know, that it's not like, okay, here's like the Gildan catalog. Just mm-hmm. pick the shirt that you want that's like a hard cotton box. Like, <laughs> like there's so much more that you guys have done to make the clothing cool and comfortable. Yeah. And yeah. And that's where it all started. Mark wanted to have a t shirt that fit him properly. He's a tall, slim guy and he wanted a shirt that he could be comfortable in. And that's mm-hmm. honestly where this whole thing started is he wanted to have better clothing. Yeah. And now it's, where it started and where it's ended up. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And then Mark, what about you? What would you, what advice would you give somebody? I would say similar situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know for specific advice, but I'd say for business people, or if you wanted to start a business or, you know, a, there's definitely a couple of things you really need to to have or, or, or learn or get good at. I would say my most two valuable ones would be discipline and financial responsibility. I mean, the financial, like businesses run on money. That's, that's, that's the fact they don't run on good ideas or good intentions or, or whatever, right? Like businesses run on money. You, mm-hmm. you got to pay rent, you got to pay employees. You got to, you got to buy product. It's, it's kind of simple as that. I don't care how good of idea you have is if you're not profitable or you don't have money, it's, it's not really going anywhere. So that financial responsibility is, is honestly a, a big thing for running a business. Um, and that's probably something you can or should, you know, develop or work on before you start a business. You know, if, if you can't manage a thousand dollars or $5,000 of your own personal money, you know, you're not going to be able to manage $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars or, or, or whatever. Right. That, that mm. it's a really important one. I learned it, you know, I've been learning it as we go, which has helped me. Yeah. But uh, where I really learned is after kind of our first, like, first or second year profitable years maybe by a second kind of big profitable year is like okay holy moly for the first time ever we have money in the bank account like we're not just struggling to make bill payments every time we actually have money in the bank account well what do you do with the money now like you can't just go buy snowmobiles like that's like (laughs) 
<laughs> like you gotta, you know, if you have a hundred thousand in your business account, then well, by next year, you, you better have more or you're yeah. probably not running your business in the right way. Right. So it's not just going and buying presents and vacations and stuff like that. That mm-hmm. was that one to learn. So, but that only worked to get more profit is if you know how to be financially responsible. If there yeah. is someone out there that actually does want to get into screen printing or embroidery or running their own clothing company or something like that, this industry is different too, where you can't go to college for this. You can't go to university. You can't learn how to screen print from, oh, you, I'm sure you could find a course somewhere to learn how to screen print, but not on a business scale. Yep. And if someone does want to get into this and they really do want to learn, go to your local screen print shop, sign up for an internship, get a job there. Cause that's the only way that this industry is going to keep mm-hmm. on going, hiring new people, having them learn the craft because it it is a craft and our production manager back there will tell you that it is an art form um mm-hmm. embroidery is an art form screen printing is an art form and it, it is a really cool thing and if you want to get into it you just got to put in the time and learn from the masters above you mm-hmm. exactly learn, learn from from people everybody everybody's already out there doing these things like yeah connect with them you're like almost no one's just sitting around and coming up with this idea that no one's ever thought of and nothing's ever been made of <laughs> things reach out to them and exactly like people a lot of businesses need help with things if you're interested in that type of business whatever business it is it's a small industry in canada mm-hmm. especially yeah canada, not a lot of print shops in the states there's so many just because there's so many more people down there and mm-hmm. uh if if someone does want to have a trade that they can you know fall back on and work at for years and own their own business you know screen printing is an interesting option and you know learning it and doing that could provide you with a career home-based or on a scale bigger mm-hmm. yeah yeah like you can do it enough probably like out of your garage like back in the day to support yourself yeah. screen print like most of that's how a lot of them are yeah screen printers kind of have a they're a little bit of i don't know not outside but like they think differently right they're not the people that are going and just working in office jobs forever they they would way rather work in a in a garage by themselves making fun stuff you know and mm-hmm. you know music going on and doing their thing like yeah. that's the type of people they are they want those type, type of things so that's a lot of the a lot of what the screen print industry is backed on is a lot of a lot of those people based businesses yeah yeah, yeah. sweet awesome yeah. guys thank you so much we can thank we can so cap it there and yeah i i'm just so stoked on just the business you guys have built and i think rubble stoke's really really fortunate to have a business like yours to support all the other businesses in town it's pretty cool and oh and we got this this year hey <laughs> yes if anybody doesn't know you guys are an award-winning business heck yeah an award-winning business so thanks yes. to the chamber for that this year yeah really awesome uh nomination and and win for us mm-hmm. yeah and for our listeners that's industrial and manufacturing excellence award that the barons got this year congratulations guys very well deserved <laughs> awesome okay we'll leave it there and thanks again thank you right, so much. thanks to you